Welcome to the Circle City Cinema with Zach Griffith and Brett Sexton, a part of the Running Hook Podcast Network. Welcome into Circle City Cinema. I'm your host, Zach Griffith. I'm joined as always by my good friend and co-host, Brett Sexton. Howdy, howdy. How you doing? I'm doing good. Getting to talk more Fincher. <laughs> Only talking about one film today. You and I That's both all... agreed this film deserved its own episode. That's a big one. It's a big one. Uh, Zodiac, Brettus. Zodiac. Great. I can't say enough about it. Yeah, one of his longer movies. Yeah, I got a I got a trivia question for you later pertaining to that. Ah. See if you can uh, guess the answer. But first off, some news in the industry. Wonder Woman 1984. This news came out yesterday. Is releasing on HBO Max and in select theaters on Christmas. Available at no extra cost to HBO Max subscribers. Do you, do you have HBO Max? I do not. We used to have H. I don't know which one we had because I know HBO has like seven types of like streaming things. We, we, we might have had Go or Now, but we don't have it anymore. Might have been. Uh, I had Now for like a month. Yeah. Um, that's cool that it's no extra cost, unlike stuff that Disney's been doing. Mulan. Where, yeah, it's like, I know you pay money, but also pay us more money. <laughs> Or like the ESPN Plus stuff, where you pay yeah. you pay a certain amount a month, and then you have to pay the full amount for a fight or something. Yeah, I, I don't understand. So that's cool. I I appreciate them doing that. The DC really needs this movie to be seen and go well. Yeah, they do. But Christmas Day is going to be packed. There's this is coming out. I think that Soul animated movies coming out around on like on Christmas Day. There's a couple of the oh. movies. NBA basketball is starting on right. Christmas Day. Like NBA Day, Christmas Day is going to be fucking packed <laughs> with shit. There's college football going on, probably. God, yeah, that's going to be a <laughs> wild day. It's too much to do in one day. What day of the week is Christmas? Do we know? Because if, what if it's a Sunday and there's football going on too? I have no idea. Oh man, I just have the way that's asked. Do we know? Like it's a date that is an obscurity. <laughs> No one knows. Uh, Warner Brothers is going to take a lower cut of the rental revenue since, uh, you know, they're not, like you said, not doing the extra cost. And it's only going to be in a few theaters where it's safe. So probably not in any big cities, right? Yeah. Well, they don't need the money. So no, they don't. Nobody's feeling sorry for them. We'll be generous and lower our cut. (laughs) Well, Will be pulled from HBO. This is the part I don't get. Right yeah. It will be pulled from HBO Max after one month and go exclusively to theaters. That's pretty sick if you live somewhere that's not a large city. But if you happen to live in like LA, New York, Chicago, you basically have one month to see this movie. Or even downtown Indy. Yeah. I mean, shit. That's just, yeah, if you, I mean, yeah, if you happen to live in a smaller town or area, it doesn't matter. But yeah, you're kind of... You get a window of 30 days to to see this. Let me tell you what's going to happen, Brett. All right. They're going to pull it after one month. They're going to have it out in theaters. And then they're going to see, hang on a minute. We're not making any money here. 
and it's going to go back on HBO Max. Oh, the, the Pi do both. The Pi keep it in theaters and then do the the pay model, and then make you pay for it even if you have HBO Max. So they'll have both of them going at the same time because who cares? I get them trying to go to theaters because I mean this is a movie that in a normal year would have made a billion dollars. You think? Yeah. Oh so yeah. I get them. Unlike Mulan with Disney, that that movie wouldn't have made a billion, but they're yeah. trying well, to pe- make any people kind of profit. were people are are asking and have been excited for this movie. No one was clamoring about a remake of the animated movie Mulan. <laughs> I just don't. I don't. I don't want to get mad right now. All right, we'll, wanna... we'll we'll move on. We'll move on. Fucking <laughs> move on. So, are you gonna? You said you don't have HBO Max. I'm considering. No. I'm considering tuning in for the free months just to watch this. Maybe. I mean, this is the best thing they've got going for them over at DC right now. So, yeah. I'm. I'm sure it's going to be really good. I'm curious what kind of larger universe building they try to do in, in this movie, especially with the Snyder cut coming out. I'm yep. very curious what, what tie in parts I have. I'm sure the wonder woman only bits are going to be fine, but I'm curious what decisions they've made to kind of connect more movies or what direction they're heading in and all that. But as far as I've seen with the trailers and stuff for this movie, not a lot of uh, visible connections to the rest of the universe. So Maybe they are going away from that. That's funny. Why do you think that is? Perhaps they don't have one set up. Yeah, it's hard. To, it's hard to tie into nothing. <laughs> Suicide Squad tried. All right. Yeah, we could shit on Suicide Squad all day, but they they tried. No, they did. <laughs> they they really tried. They failed. They tried. It's just it should have been so easy. That's what I get mad about. Yeah. Well. There's a whole pod. The first pod you and I uh, did on the Running Hook Network. Was the it really? Cut pod, yeah. Wow. <laughs> been been on them since day one. <laughs> so if you've been with us that long, you know what we're talking about. <laughs> you know the deep-seated <laughs> anger. You've heard the rants before. Uh, moving on. Good things we've seen lately, Bredis. Movie or TV? <laughs> I recently restarted it, but we talk about snubs a lot. This is for television, so snubs at the Emmys. Uh, what I deem as the greatest comedy that's ever graced television, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Yes. I recently just rewatched some of the earlier seasons, and hot damn, as that show hit me in just the right spot. It does. You're, you're, a, big, you're a big sunny guy. What, what are you watching it on? Hulu? Uh, it's yeah, it's on Hulu. Oh, okay. So, if you have Hulu, all the seasons are there. Been on TV for fifteen years. It's one of the longest running TV shows. Is it the longest running scripted sitcom ever? It might not be the longest, but it's it's up there. I mean, the first season was, I think, two thousand five. Two thousand five. Yeah. I mean, it's insane to see how far that shows come and stayed on the air and any signs of slowing not from what i can tell there were like worrying moments when glenn howerton who plays dennis talked about taking a step back and do more like writing directing to do other projects and there's a season where he was not 
heavily featured, but now he's kind of back in it and it's been like rejuvenated because he's been doing his other show, AP Bio. So I think he's getting a new oh, yeah. look, look and everything. Uh, Mac, he's got his, um, another show that's coming out. I forget the name of it now about some like game development studio. And, but I don't see any signs. Danny DeVito still loves it. I mean, still kicking it. I, I don't see any, I mean, maybe when, cause they're all still fairly young, thirties, forties. Yeah. DeVito, maybe if Danny DeVito's DeVito, <laughs> <laughs> I think, I'm thinking if DeVito retires or something, that might be when they end it. Yeah. Just cause it won't, cause it's the same reason that people got worried when Dennis talked about possibly leaving is cause the show is just them together and then bouncing off each other that you really, really notice it if they're not all there together. I'm going to have to check that out. It's been a while since I've seen it. You always rave about it. So yeah, the later think- seasons I don't have as memorized, but seasons one through maybe even like 10, I've just, I've just rewatched so many times. Any dip in quality? No, not for me. And that's the thing I love about that show is they're the same degenerates that they were in season one and season 15. There's some fun character development and changes, but they've done interviews where they have like actively tried to go against the typical sitcom where the characters get better looking and learn lessons as seasons go on. Uh, they're still terrible, terrible people oh, yeah. making terrible, terrible decisions <laughs> season after season. <laughs> it's, it's, it's beautiful. I've been watching uh, Evil Genius on Netflix about that bank robbery. Yeah. Yeah. That came out a couple years ago, right? Yeah. It's been on my list uh, probably since it came out. I never got around to watching it. Holy shit. Holy shit. I don't know if you're familiar with the story. But they Vaguely. Yeah, they uh, these people kidnapped, they ordered a pizza. And then when the delivery driver got there, they put a bomb around his neck. Yeah. They gave him directions to go rob this bank and uh didn't didn't end well for him. <laughs> it was the last delivery he ever made. Yeah. And then the, it's a, it's four episodes, I think. I'm halfway done, but... Um, Damn. It's great. If you're into documentaries, if you're into crime, I recommend that. It's on, it's on Netflix. It's been on there for a couple of years, but hell, it's awesome. Uh, and then now, getting into our topic tonight, Zodiac, released in 2007, directed by the man David Fincher. Produced by a few people here. Mike Metavoy, Fincher's wife, Sion Chaffin, Arnold Messer, James Vanderbilt, and Bradley J. Fisher. Written by James Vanderbilt. Edited by Angus Wall. Cinematography by Harris Savitas, who shot uh, The Game, Bredis. I remember. Yes. Music by David Shire. I, want, I, want, I can't wait to get your opinions on the music here. Because <laughs> I think it falls into a gripe of yours. Really? Yeah. And of course, starring Jake Gyllenhaal, Mark Ruffalo, Robert Downey Jr. 7.7 out of 10 IMDb, a little low. Yeah. You think? I'm not surprised. I think it's low, but I'm definitely not surprised that it only has a 7.7. No, not a lot of votes. No. Roger Ebert, 
four out of four. Yeah. Give it a four out of four. Bredis, I know you and I kind of talked about what David Fincher's best film was last show. Yeah. Is this at least his second best film? It's got a fighter's chance. Like, this is such a fun movie. And it shouldn't be as good as it is. No. It shouldn't be as entertaining for as much of a true true crime slow burn. It really shouldn't. It has no right to be as entertaining as it is. Especially when you go in. I feel like most people, I would say, give the benefit that they kind of know who the Zodiac Killer is and and kind of some information about that. So if you go in to a true crime film, a mystery, where you might know that they technically still to this day do not know the identity and the whole plot of the movie is going to find out the identity, it should not be entertaining. Right. It should, and it has no right to be, and it is entertaining from start to finish. You're right. It shouldn't be because everybody knows they never found the guy. Yeah. They never found the Zodiac Killer. They only solved one of those little uh, puzzles he sent in. Mm-hmm. And it's entertaining as hell. Yeah. It's an unsolved mystery. And it's entertaining as hell. Yeah. It's That's, an unsolved mystery movie that I, yeah, it definitely should, it should suck. It should be like, I'm bored. I know they're not going to find them. I have Especially not, with how long it is. Yeah. I'm not invested into these cops or anybody because I know they're not going to catch you. I'm like, why do I, but you're sold. You're all in. And part of that could be from the acting, I think, oh, okay. casting, but you are all in on this movie as soon as you get into it. I think it has to be at least. I mean, I know there's probably some who will fight for. For Fight, Fight Club. Club, yeah. Yeah. Maybe even seven. But I think Zodiac and... Fight Club definitely might be his most entertaining. I think it is. But best overall, yeah, it's tough. I've always had this in uh, Social Network, top two. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of Benjamin Button, but I know it doesn't have any business being in top three. (laughs) The top three would probably be Zodiac, Social Network, uh, seven in some order. You think? Yeah, that's those are all three of just like him of firing on all cylinders. So it's tough, order. yeah. Another question about this movie: What other Fincher film is this most similar to, Bredis? <laughs> this isn't a trick question. I'm not trying to trick you. I just I want to know. Yeah, no, it's definitely you can easily compare it to Seven because of the investigative as- like aspects trying to find out who a killer is. Yeah. So that's the most obvious connection you'll find. But you get some psychological elements that that might fall into maybe a game or fight club a little bit. Can I throw a social network at you? In terms of yeah. the formation of something. <laughs> Telling the story of how Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's yeah. That's true. It's a very good point. Yeah, the way that it, the story is formed. Yeah, is very similar. But you're right. Seven's the most obvious. It's the most obvious. Yeah, but I, th- I think yeah, dialogue and mannerism. Like, is everything flows and doesn't stop? Like, I love. It's a meaningless scene, but I love when um. What is not it? the Fincher? It's not. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> when Mark, Mark Ruffalo and the other was Inspector. Armstrong or whatever, when they're yeah, yeah, eating yeah. like lunch or whatever, 
and he's like got his own meal and then Mark sits down and he's like eyeballing his lunch and he gives him it. I love that like as he's talking, it's like he takes the tomato off, does that, kind of puts it up, sits on a little napkin, does awesome. that. Like that's like, no, like, well, he's talking, it's just those little movements. That nothing's, it's, there's no, it's not stationary. I'm trying to think of the words for it that they don't sit down and talk one-on-one and the flow stops. He's doing such stuff, moving things around. And I just, the flow of a scene like that, I, I really appreciate, but yeah, I think it's easy that's to pull to seven. That's a great scene. Cause you could shout out a lot of people for that. Obviously Fincher because mm-hmm. that, how, how many times do you think that scene was shot? 10, 10 times. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's it it's probably a blessing to work for actors because he'll give you as many takes. If you go, well, I didn't really like the way I delivered that. He's like, okay. He has no qualms doing it a hundred times. So, And then some credit to Ruffalo because a lot of credit to Ruffalo. Yeah. Because maybe in his research, he found that Toski didn't like tomato or something. Yeah. That's like, true. It could be that. Just could be fun improv. Like that could be maybe the first take, he didn't even take the sandwich. Maybe in the third take, he... He asked for it and he said no. Or So it's kind of fun. You probably would play around with what you do in each take that doesn't affect the scene or the narrative too much, I, I, I should say. I thought this next quote from Ebert, which he added in his review of the movie, he says, I thought this was a hell of a quote. It basically sums up the movie in one paragraph. <laughs> Zodiac is the all the president's men of serial killer movies with Woodward and Bernstein played by a cop and a cartoonist. It's not merely based on California's infamous Zodiac killings, but seems to exude the very stench and provocation of the case. The killer, who was never caught, generously supplied so many clues that Sherlock Holmes might have cracked the case in his sitting room. But only a newspaper cartoonist was stubborn enough and tunneled away long enough to piece together a convincing case against a man who is perhaps guilty. Well said, Raj. Very well said. I love that comparison to all the presidents, man. Yeah. It turns out he was, he was dead on. We'll get to it yeah. in fun facts, but yeah, dead on. <laughs> very, very dead on. Uh, the best scene, Bredis. Lots this to pick a, from here. This is a whole lot to pick from. It's, it's a two hour, 37 minute movie. So, and there's really uh, no dead space in it. No. No pun intended there. There's no dead space in it. So we got, uh, you want to take this one? Best yeah, scenes? I'll take them. So we got the very first Zodiac kill, which opens up the movie. Zodiac kills a couple at the park. Zodiac kills a cab driver. A lot of Zodiac kills in this Yeah. <laughs> Tashi investigates the cab scene. Zodiac calls into morning show, which we learn is a fake call. Gray Smith and Avery get drinks. Zodiac kidnaps mother and child, which is a very tense scene upon first, first viewing. Oh, yeah. Uh, Gray Smith date with Melanie. Alan interview. Cops toss Alan's trailer. Gray Smith visits Paul's boathouse. Gray Smith goes to Vaughn's home. Grayson has final meeting with Tashi and Magao's IDs Allen. Tough. There's so many. I'm going with the Arthur Lee Allen interview. Uh, when he at, at his work. Yeah. That's a that's a good yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. Talk about attention to detail. That yeah. scene. 
Uh, he has such a smug aura when he's like answering their questions. What, what he says about the dangerous game when he talks about like how good the book was, and then the guy that he was telling to, he's like, or at least that's what I told him. Right. When he's saying like, yeah, it's probably my favorite book. It's a very good, or that's probably what I told him at the time. Like just, <laughs> and then that you find out the teacher was like, I would have arrested him on the site if I could have. <laughs> Now, my neighbor saw me come home that night. His name is Bill White. He died shortly after that. But he saw me come home. Yeah. <laughs> and the two guns, are, uh, those, are, I, those, those are mine, and those are for something else. <laughs> those knives that were found in my car? That nice. was chicken's blood. <laughs> yeah. He's <laughs> like, like, holy shit. <laughs> the, the, uh, the watch? Yeah, the Zodiac watch. Can I see your watch, Lee? Can I see it? <laughs> God. Just a great scene. Uh, let's run through them. The first Zodiac kill, starting off the movie. Yeah. Hot. It's a... You had a note somewhere about slasher stuff. This is the most slasher element of the film. Two teens go on the make-out point or whatever the hell it yeah. is. And yeah. Lovers get, gun, get gunned down. <laughs> Tough. Yeah. Uh... Zodiac kills the couple at the park. This was a... You have a section coming up for yeah, who got yeah. it. Who got it the worst. They might be a, a running in first place. <laughs> front runner. <laughs> Not something you want to be a front runner for, but they might be it. Uh, that that was in the running for best scene for me. Just because it takes a quick turn. Yeah. A lot like the first victims. You know, they're, they're there to have a good time. Little romantic, romantic setting, and then uh, some yeah. guy in a black night suit comes along and ruins it. <laughs> uh, the cab driver kill, and the ensuing investigation. Yeah, this is we'll get, we're going to get into the end, doing the, some research I did on the actual case. That <laughs> night could have ended everything. Right. They even get into that in the movie. Yeah. They sit down with those cops and they're they were like, Well, you questioned him, right? You questioned yeah. him. Oh, no, no, we didn't. Even the I think it gets a little deeper in the research I did, like they were they were on his ass. And then they just stopped. Like they had him. Yeah. And they were like, Oh, well just let him Well, we'll save it for that section, because you did you did some research on the actual Zodiac killer. We'll save it for that. I did research Ted Cruz. Yeah, you did. You did. Uh, Gray Smith and Avery get drinks. I just thought that was funny because they were hammered talking about uh, a serial killer. So I thought that was a beautiful use of comedy through a cut. Yeah, <laughs> when he when he tries a blue drink, like takes a, takes, a leans, takes a sip back, and it's a hard cut to him face down, surrounded by empty glasses. <laughs> I was like, beautiful uh, editing there. Many a nights you and I and Coop have had. Sounds like that. Oh yeah, the hard, the hard cut. Not going out tonight. Uh, talked about the Allen interview. Uh, the date. The date with Melanie. Uh, yeah. Says a lot about Melanie. She's willing to stick around with this guy. She must have dated a lot of boring guys because she just is like, this is the most interesting date I've had in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Good catch by her. Is this a sleazy attempt to get me to go home with you? 
And I guarantee Grace Smith was so oblivious to him, he didn't even realize. No, he was like, no, I need to do some Zodiac. <laughs> to me, it's curious. Yeah, like, did you have notes like, what did she see in him? <laughs> it appears little interest is put into her. No interest. Like, I'm just very curious why. So then you're upset. Like, the first date, you saw a clear interest and obsession with this case and the Zodiac. Then years later, talk about the divorce later, but you're surprised (laughs) that he's a little overwhelmed with this case and he's still at it? This is not like, this was day one. Legitimate day one, first date. Wait, are you a cop? No, no, I'm I'm a cartoonist. Yeah. I'm just like heavily following this case. <laughs> uh, the Zodiac kidnaps the mother and the child, like you said, on a first viewing. You can, almost hear the, you can almost hear the disappointment in his voice when he's like, I didn't know you had a kid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the more the merrier. <laughs> That's horrible. I think you passed the gas station. It was closed. I love that because he doesn't even turn his head. (laughs) And he immediately answers her. Doesn't give a second to thank. It's closed. They're closed. But the lights are, they're closed. How about, uh, we'll get into it in comedy, but uh, are you pulling over? Just because someone's lights are on behind you? Like I might if we're doing that. But as soon as he gets out and says... Do you want me to fix your tire for you? I'm flooring it out of there. I mean, that's the 1960s for you, man. People just left their doors unlocked. Everyone was a lot friendlier and assumed everyone was friendlier than they were back then. Was this like the first major serial killer in America anyway? Mm. This is before Bundy, right? Just before, was Golden State before or after this? Oh, shit. I don't remember. I might have been. I might have been after because they used a technique after the fact on Zodiac that actually let ended up leading them to the Golden State Killer. So it might have been after. But Gacy, it was he seventies? It might have been seventies, eighties. Yeah, I mean, it definitely was like the sixties and seventies. Definitely skyrocketed serial killers. It was the heyday of serial killers. Yeah. I mean, I I, mean, I I don't want to get into it again too early now, but we talked about just how much nicer people, just like open and friendly people were back then. There's some weird information about a particular suspect and just how friendly people were to him that allowed him to do anonymous things. Not a certain suspect, you said? Yeah. All right, we'll get to him then. I think I might know who you're talking about. Uh, Gacy was his crimes were from 72 to 78 yeah so this probably was one of the the earlier yeah killings which is why it might have been so poorly mishandled oh my god it was so mishandled a lot of Gotham PD vibes in this movie (laughs) yeah yeah if this was handled just with a little bit more competence they could have probably caught his ass in the 60s you think Wurtz and Ramirez from the Dark Knight could have caught him no, no, they probably would have been doing this shit. <laughs> that's the, I think that's the biggest thing you learned too is just the lack of communication. Like you see all these cops calling different precincts in different counties and they're like, I'll give you this if you give me this information. It's like, fuckers, there's a serial killer. You got to help me out too. What do on I the, get? On the loose. 
It's like they're it's like a draft night trading between NBA GMs. Yeah. Like, well, I got to get something back here. <laughs> He's like, there's a there's a serial killer out there. Give me the information you have. <laughs> I got to get a draft pick back or something. What do you have to gain? You could save a life, you <laughs> asshole. Send me some cash. You got a deal. Uh. Let's see. So yeah, first viewing the kidnapping of a mother and child. That's intense. From one of the most intense scenes. Talked about the Alan interview. Uh, the cops toss Alan's trailer. Um, a lot of incriminating evidence they find. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of a lot of squirrels. Big squirrel guy, wasn't he? Yeah, big squirrel guy. Was he planning on eating them, or were were they his pets? I- when they open up the freezer, he goes, ah, there's squirrels in there. So I don't know if he was freezing them to eat or if they were, I don't know. Maybe he kept some as pets and ate some. Yeah. There's also an unnecessary shot of what Alan might do but when he's alone that adds nothing but yeah. make you laugh. I saw it. <laughs> I actually rewound it because I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I, I, d- like, I didn't. No, that wasn't a. I didn't remember that bit, but I was like, why did. Why is that included? That doesn't help the investigation whatsoever. You just see uh, uh, Armstrong look at it and he just shakes his head. <laughs> to each their own. Well, the magazines were the first red flag. Yeah. But then I don't think but he that's, expected. That's fine. You got magazines. They just didn't, they didn't need that shot. It didn't help me understand the case any better. No? Didn't give you any insight to the suspect? No, I figured I I knew who he was. I knew he was a degenerate. I didn't yeah. need that. And then on the second rewind, I realized it was, in fact, a dildo. So, yes. <laughs> Damn it, Lee. Uh, Grace Smith visits Paul's boathouse. Paul, disheveled, Atari playing. I love that he's living on a boat. <laughs> Looks homey. Looks nice. It does. Uh, that boathouse, baby. Uh, drinking vodka straight out of the bottle. Yeah. Tough. What, what do you have? Some Tito's? What do you have? It looked like a, a Grey Goose bottle. Oh, <laughs> he's going up. He's going up in life. <laughs> uh, Gray Smith goes to Vaughn's home. The projectionist. Holy shit. Talk about intense words viewing. Yeah. When he says, so Mr. Graysmith, that's my handwriting. Yeah. That, <laughs> that, that gives you like, it's super, especially after the fact, copycat vibes. Cause it's like, why would, if you're the actual Zodiac, why would you be so ominous and spooky? Like they talk about, you don't think you put it in your comedy section, but when he's down there and he's like, yeah, I think I'm going to go. And he turns off the light when he's still down there as he's leaving. Like, so he can't see his way out. <laughs> like, that was just like an unnecessary, like talking about Michael Myers. Like that was like a weird like prank, like a gag for no reason. Like why would he turn the light off when he's still there? Is there anybody else in the house? Why don't we go upstairs and check? <laughs> it's like, a yes or no. <laughs> yeah, it just, to me, it was so funny how overtly creepy he was like trying to be almost. Uh, one of the questions I had was, uh, this guy wants to talk about the Zodiac, but he wants me to follow him home to do it. 
I'm not following you home. <laughs> we could just talk out here, man. I don't know. <laughs> it's not that big of a deal. I'll sit out here in the rain before I go to your house. <laughs> but that that scene, especially when he says, like I like I mentioned, no, Mr. Graysmith, that's that's my handwriting. And you see Robert's face just like fuck. <laughs> Mm, I might have might have made a mistake coming in here. <laughs> Did, see, I'm curious what that would be like on a viewing or if you don't know anything about the Zodiac Killer. Right. I'm curious how that would seem to feel because it has a different, a very different impact on me watching it, knowing that that's not a lead suspect. Yeah, probably not the Zodiac. Yeah. So I'm very, I, I would love to know as someone who would watch that and doesn't know anything about the killer or the case, if they'd be like, oh, shit, Jake Hall's going to die right here. Did he come up in your research at all of the real thing? <sighs> Not the sources that I... Um, Vaughn. Bob Vaughn. Yeah, that I was looking up. There's... The most popular suspect is the one that is flooded whenever you look up who the real one is. Right. That, you've, that we could introduce later into the movie, but... <laughs> I mean, this guy, because the, the main reason he went there is because uh, he wanted to compare some handwriting samples. And he yeah. didn't know that Vaughn was the one whose handwriting it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when he finds out, he's like, oh, fucking, uh, I'm getting out of here. I'm going to fuck off. <laughs> Dude, his face just sinks. Uh, and then Graceman's final meeting with uh, Toski. Every meeting before this was like a hassle to Toski. Yeah. I can't tell you anything, but here's a vague name you should check out. I got to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> go check out Joe Smith. Yeah. <laughs> he might be able to help. But the last one was, uh, I really like the last one because it basically confirms who the Zodiac pretty much is. Could, Could be. be. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then the last scene, pretty much the very last scene, Majo, Mike Majo, who uh, was one of the first victims and one of the only survivors of the Zodiac, yeah. IDs Arthur Lee Allen as the Zodiac. ID'd him, Bredis. How confident are you? One to ten. Like an eight. Last time I saw him was July 4th, 1969 or whatever. All right. We got him. Uh, moving on. Thoughts on the time jumps. There's a lot of time jumps. I mean, we're jumping like months at a time. I like it. I think it works because you have to do something because this doesn't take place in 1966, 1967. It takes place from 1966 to basically the late 80s, early 90s. Right. Yeah, so, he IDs Allen in 1991. Yeah. So, I mean, this is... It doesn't do it every time they jump, which I like, but it's for something important for either the case or for one of the characters, a moment that they get a revelation or something changes. So it's not every time they jump somewhere, but I think it's a nice way to keep the uh, the viewer in tune with where we're at, the story, without them feeling lost. Yeah, because like you said, these crimes went on Yeah, I mean, over a long period of time. So it... If you wanted Zodiac. to do it in real time, it'd be like a fucking... <laughs> yeah. Zodiac goes dormant for four years of, like, of time, so yeah, this movie's going to have to span quite a, quite a few decades. Uh, I like the time jumps. I never felt confused, even in my first viewing. 
I was never like, wait, where are we? What's going on? Never felt confused. And that brings me to uh, the cohesive feel of the movie. Because it's really like three movies in one. Yeah. Yeah. It's that first act, maybe first two acts. You could identify Jake as maybe the protagonist. But even RDJ and Mark Ruffalo, you could side with more so Ruffalo. But there's like three kind of leading guys. It's only until that near the end of that third act that it's really uh, Jay Gyllenhaal's character's movie. Yeah. Oh, he uh, takes it by the balls at that, at that point. Yeah, once, once he takes it under, like, his, under his own, his wing to try to solve it by himself and write that book. But yeah, it definitely feels like different movies. Because it's like it almost... It, it's an action-packed movie, the first act, because we got the killings, mm-hmm. them trying to investigate them. There's like three three killings, right? In the first hour? Uh, yes. Well, I mean, you get into like the actual stuff, like the actual Zodiac stuff. Yeah, there's, he kills five people in one year in real life. Yeah. Until they're confirmed to. So yeah, like all that action happens right at the beginning. Yeah. And then the middle is like dormant, nothing, hopelessness. <laughs> and then the end is like Grace Smith going insane, but there's some hope. Yeah, maybe a breakthrough is on its way. Yeah. So it's like it's almost like a trilogy in one movie. It's awesome. And I thought I, I thought it was cohesive. I never felt like, hang on, this doesn't feel right. Yeah. They did a great job. Uh this is what I wanted your opinion on the score for. So uh David Shire did the score, who oddly enough scored all the president's men too. Which uh served as the template for this movie. I wanna know. Because you have been on the record, I think, criticizing when people get credited with the score when all they had to do is pick out songs. Yes. If there's not an original made score for a movie, I think a little less of it. Sometimes it can work if a popular song just fits. My gripe goes bigger with when it's when people celebrate it too much like my big issue has always been with like guardians of the galaxy where people will go oh guardians of the galaxy has got like the best soundtrack or like the best score or whatever and i go no 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 you just shuffled on spotify popular 1970s and 80s music (laughs) right like to me like a genuine score is made specifically for the movie this score was specifically composed for this scene. This conversation has a very specific sound and music accompaniment that only works for that moment. So I don't think it's bad when they do it. I just think it's like... Don't call it the score. Yeah, it's like my thing with writer-directors are just directors. And there was a... I respect Fincher a lot because there was a quote I saw recently about what he talked about because someone asked him why he doesn't put his name down for like a writer too. And it's cause he's like, I don't write these movies. I'm not going to put my name down as editor or, right. you know, cinematographer or anything if I don't do it. But Respect. yeah, it's not, yeah, not a huge gripe, but yeah, for like a good score, someone to say like, Oh, the music for that movie was amazing. I take it with a grain of salt. If I find out that it is just popular music. <laughs> well, that's kind of what this movie was. The score only pops in a couple of times. One that one scene that comes to mind when it does is uh the Allen interview. Mm-hmm. It's like uh this ominous low tone score. Very creepy. And it yeah. 
But yeah, the, but that's what they do. That's what it's perfect for. You couldn't just play like a song during that moment. No, hell no. But in like the, the last interaction with Toski and Graysmith, there's a song playing in the background until the tone shifts mm-hmm. when it seems like they've locked down Lee as the guy. And then the score comes in. Yeah, I mean, they. What I do like is they do use like just regular music really well. The uh, when the first letter comes into the chronicle and it's sitting on that mail cart and it's just playing like like rock music. Yeah. And then it cuts off and stops as it busts into that room. That was beautiful. That was beautiful editing and you know sound court like sound design, sound coordination. That was that was perfect. I have no gripes with stuff like that. But just like having a music on in the background is is a little different. You have to love it. You have to love it. But I just wanted your thoughts on it here because, you know, it's a lot of just popular songs from the time period. Yeah. But right. this is also a movie that doesn't, like, it's, it is conversation. You, don't, my, you might not need music to accompany everything. It's supposed to be just kind of more of a darker, somber movie. And then it's a, it's a true crime movie. You don't need music or a score for every single moment. So it kind no, of works don't. if you don't have music in a lot of the scenes. I mean, look at Tarantino. Some of his most famous scenes, there's no music at all. Yeah. Just two people talking. So you don't, you're right. You don't need music in every, every scene. Uh, the old Paramount logo, the beginning. I liked it. I wonder if that was Fincher's request. You know, it was, you know, it was. Throw the old one on there. You know, it was. I mean, do you think? I wonder if it was because he wanted because the movie takes place sixties, seventies. If he just wanted it to match a feel or something, or if he just thought it'd be kind of fun, perfectionist. I bet yeah. it was he wanted to match the feel. Yeah. Uh, and then the runtime. I mentioned it earlier, Brad. It's the third longest Fincher movie. Can you guess his longest ones? There's only two. Is good. It. Is Gone Girl longer? No. No, Gone Girl's like two and a half. Damn. One of um, them's only longer by one minute. Well, this is two hours and 30 minutes, right? 2.37? Yep. What is longer than this? And then the longest one takes it by like 10 minutes. I don't know. I'm trying to think. <laughs> the longest one, you'll, you'll kick yourself that you didn't get it. Longer than two hours, 37 minutes. I don't know. I'm trying to think. Like, the game wasn't that long. Game wasn't that long. Fight Club really wasn't that long. No, I knew, I knew Fight Club was definitely not going to make that cut. Panic Room and Social Network's only two hours. What? I don't know. You give up? Yeah. Benjamin Button is the longest. Oh. God, I- it's like 166 minutes or something. Jeez. And then Girl with a Dragon Tattoo beats wow. Zodiac by one minute. I haven't seen it, so I definitely was not going to guess that. So, yeah. But Benjamin Button takes it, I want to say, by like 10 minutes. Takes it by a kind of a lot. So. Jeez. Yeah. And it makes sense. I mean, you're telling the story of a man's life. Yeah, I mean, so it's gonna it's gonna take a minute. Yeah, it's gonna take a minute. Uh, and then one of our apologies for the dog in the background. One uh, one of our more famous segments when death is involved in the movies we talk about. Who got it the worst, Bredis? Before we get into that, 
I just noticed, I just typed in David Fincher movies to get some reference on some other ones. We talked about how it wasn't a highly rated review. If you type in David Fincher movies, Zodiac does not pop up. On Google? Yeah. It's The Game, Seven, Fight Club, The Social Network, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Gone Girl, Panic Room, Benjamin Button, The Girl in the Spider's Web, Alien 3, a Hitchcock oh, and Truffaut movie, Lords of Dogtown, Side by Side, and, and some love and other disasters. Zodiac is not, if you just Google it. In the Alien 3? Yeah, it is not even in the immediate pop-up. That is disrespectful to this movie. Girl in the Spider's Web? He didn't even do that one. I know. They probably had him as on his producer, but they don't have one he actually directed. That I don't is care ins- what he produced. That is insane that it's not even listed if you Google David oh Fincher my. movies. Oh, my God. Well, guess what, Brad? That's not the only disrespect it got. We'll get to it uh, later. <laughs> That's just crazy. Hey, what? <sighs> you know what? I'm just going to save it. I'm just going to save it for when we get to it because I'm going to blow up. I'm going to blow up. Thank God I'm not drunk <laughs> because that would say some things about the, okay. All right. Just forget it. Forget it. <laughs> Who got it the worst, Bredis? It's got to be the couple at the park. I mean, yeah. Like the one boy in the first murder survived a shooting in the neck. That guy, that guy was stabbed like nine times and lived. Yeah. And in, in the real life case, they both got brought to a hospital which is impressive. The girl obviously died of complications at the hospital, but they at least survived the stabbing, bleeding out long enough to be found and brought to a hospital. You know, if you're the Zodiac, you easily just could have shot him. Yeah. Well, think again, how is he not caught? I don't know. Victims are being left alive. People have seen his face. The woman and her baby saw his face. Right? They were in the car with him. How is that? I mean, it's, it really is only in the 60s when the technology is not there and just being mishandled. But it's just like that would this never would happen. That's and it's insane. Like if Ebert's review, Sherlock Holmes would have a field day with the amount of evidence yeah. that he was handing them. <laughs> he was mailing them. Yeah. He was mailing yeah. them. And I don't know if you caught it. The only time I noticed the cops wearing gloves was when they were handling the letters. Yeah. Now I will say as bad as that is, they can at least, um, they mention it uh, briefly at one point, but they can at least if they know who's touched it, not check for those specific fingerprints. Okay. So they at least have that at that period of time. If, if they, if a letter and everyone in the editor's room had touched it, they just need to get everyone who's touched its fingerprints. So they, when they do a fingerprint check, they won't go off for any of theirs. But it makes it harder if that person put their thumb where the Zodiac's thumb was and smudges and moves it and their oil gets on there. Yeah. It makes it worse, but they can at least still use it. But again, just incompetency. Also, DNA was not where it is now. Not at all. So when they were tossing Lee's trailer, it never, probably never occurred to them to, to wear gloves. Yeah. I mean, he, he did though. Yeah, he did. Yeah, but it's just... He wasn't taking chances. No, but yeah, it, even like the... What was it? The, the handwriting experts. Now there's at least, there's still those experts, but there's like computers that can get you super close. Like it was just a dude taking a close look. 
Yeah, got a magnifying like, glass out and just like, like well. Yes, yes, he's studied for years and years and years, but there's still so much human error that can take place when he's just like, yeah. oh, the K isn't right, which is the most concerning one, but the rest are like a perfect match almost. There's so many, so many times he should have gotten caught <laughs> but he wasn't. Like we said, GCPD has their influence felt in this movie. I mean, clearly. GCPD doesn't even collect evidence. No, so at least uh, SFPD is ahead of them in that in that department. But if the G- if the GCPD cannot solve the crime at the scene of the crime, it's over. They just toss it. Send it to the cold case files. <laughs> yeah, if they if they can solve it within a couple hours of them getting to the crime scene, then it's uh, it's never cold, wasn't meant to be. Cold case. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think their uh, solving rate is? They have more cold cases than they have solved cases. <laughs> With how often shit pops off in Gotham, they don't even bother with half the crimes 10%? that get reported. Maybe. 10% solve rate? Well, because their first thought is, let's hope Batman solves it. That's the, <laughs> that's the immediate thought. If it's a big enough issue, they go, fingers crossed the bat is on it. If it's a small enough crime, they're like, fuck. <laughs> We've got to go to police some like shit some, somewhere. Some gangland murder. Yeah, or some like some crime that's not like a bank being blown up. They're like, damn it. Petty theft. Yeah, it's like, fuck, we got to go police. Or like just just like a, 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 looks like a, a, a passionate murder, something that's not like killing a senator or the mayor of Gotham, just a regular murder that they've got to actually go do police work on. They're like, damn it. Maybe we can get the, the bat to give us his computer for the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> their first uh, instinct is not to get in their cars and go to the scene. Their first instinct is go up to the roof and turn on the bat light. <laughs> Come on, Batman. Come on, Batman. Come on, Batman. He's not coming. Damn it. <laughs> Jeff, he knows it's not worth it. That's what they tell every like new rookie cop. Like, all right, so if a call comes in and there's a crime, the first thing we do is we go to the roof, <laughs> turn on the bad signal, give it take 10 it, to 15 minutes. Take a six-pack uh, up there. Yeah, if he's not there in 15, <laughs> turn it off and uh, just go beat the streets up a little bit, see what you find. But it's okay. Most crimes... <laughs> We don't solve most crimes, so it's fine. It Maybe at least beat up one guy for good measure. Yeah. Uh, also, just so you know, you will be kidnapped and beaten by most gangs here. Um, again, cross your fingers if the bat shows up, because uh, we will not come and help you. <laughs> it's not that we don't want to. It's just that we can't. We can't. <laughs> we are, the police actually, if you didn't know this, son, are attacked more often than citizens in Gotham. We are heavily overpowered. Yeah, we uh, we stand no chance in fighting the war on crime here. You want to know what I made last week, rookie? <laughs> <laughs> you don't. You don't want to know what I made. Uh, I'm gonna go with the the couple at the. Yeah, I think it's the clear team. worst. Yeah, it's the worst. I mean, the taxi driver gets off the easiest. I think. Yeah, because he has no idea it's coming. Yeah, shot to the head. Shot to the head, yeah. So he's right. Got off scot free. I mean, the first victims didn't know it was coming, but one of one guy lived. Yeah, I think it might be a toss up between that and the mom and kid because you learn that she had to roll out of the car holding her baby. Right. First viewing, what did you think when uh, th- it was just her in the street, no baby in sight? 
I thought that because it was bloody, like I thought that she had been the baby. I thought the baby A was dead. I thought that she'd been like stabbed and was like limping out into the street, like she escaped from him. But which, oddly enough, was not the worst case scenario. But did you get any info on that in your research? The real thing? I didn't. I did not find anything about that specifically because they all kind of heavily focus on certain aspects of the case. Did he wear a black knight suit at the park? Was that real? There was a, something I found out about a mask. Someone years later presented the mask he wears in the park and has that little Zodiac symbol on it, that whole getup. Someone said that they had that. So that oh. might actually have been real. He might have made his own Party City costume at some point. <laughs> uh, you love Party City, don't you? <laughs> well, you mentioned Party City and something else in another pod. It's usually not in the best of... Oh, it was uh, Venom. You said Woody yeah, Harrelson was wearing a Party City wig. Yeah, it's whenever <laughs> I reference Party City, it's because someone did a piss-poor job at something. Shout-out costume department. Uh, performances. Jake Gyllenhaal is Robert Graysmith disheveled. It gets better as the movie goes on. He gets kind of like... But they, he is a Eagle Scout, so if yeah. that brain, if that makes you think of a specific person in mind, he's he, gonna say he's a Boy Scout for some. Yeah, he's a, he's a bit uppity that first bit, but he definitely gets more likable the more he loses his mind. Well, I think uh, him losing his mind wasn't all acting. No, we'll get into long that. days. Long yeah. Days, but- <laughs> Uh, where do you rank this among his roles? It ranks pretty highly for me. Yeah. It's kind of its second only to Nightcrawler. And Nightcrawler's damn good. There's Enemy, too. Enemy, yep. Prisoners. Yeah, Prisoners is so good. Donnie Darko. He's got a lot, but this is this is a, this is a good one. A lesser known one, I feel like. For unknown reasons. Lesser for, known. yeah, I, I don't know why. You know, we talked about second wins that Netflix gives movies sometimes. Mm-hmm. I feel like Zodiac has not gotten that. No. Well, something I think it's fun that we can think about for movies that either we were too young for or we just weren't adamantly looking at the time because this came out in 07 for us. What were the marketing campaigns like for some of these movies? Like we talk about ones that were surprised, didn't get to see. Like, like what was the marketing campaign like for the game, for example? Right. Like I'm very curious. Seven. Yeah, like I'm very yeah. curious how this, how much play it got on TV or, or radio or what or anything. I don't know why I said radio, but is this uh, 1967? Uh, it could have been on the radio, maybe. Because <laughs> this, I have this movie in my collection, and on the DVD it says, "From the director of Seven and Panic Room." Interesting that they just pick. Panic Room. Panic Room, not yeah. Fight Club. Or or Aliens 3. The game. <laughs> well, I guess Panic Room was the last movie he made before Zodiac, so. That's Maybe. true. Yeah, Alien 3. <laughs> Director of Seven and that one Madonna music video. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd probably have it second, only to... Tough to put it ahead of prisoners. I really like prisoners, but yeah, you gotta put Nightcrawler out of it. 
Mark Ruffalo as Inspector Dave Toski. Ruffalo, Dude, your guy. I, I'll let you take it. I, I think I think watching this movie made me think he's the best person because I think he's played these roles a lot where he's in like an office as a, as a reporter, a journalist, a cop. He has the best surprise face or like slowly realizing some insane information where he's like, oh, wait, it's, it's all connecting. Like, it's all connecting now. I don't know his face, but he's perfectly fit. He was in that one movie about the, was it the Catholic priest? I forget. There were two of them. The Post, maybe? Spotlight. Spotlight. He was in that. And similar to this, he's like scenes where he's interviewing people and stuff comes out. And he's like, oh, son of a bitch. Like, it's all connected. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but he perfectly pulls off that moment and that emotion so well. And I thought of it so much in this movie when he's getting close to a break and he's thinking so hard. And he's like, oh, shit. It's all that oh, fuck out. moment. It's all coming together now. <laughs> Well, he has that moment in Collateral. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. <laughs> <laughs> he plays a cop in that movie chasing down Tom Cruise. And then <laughs> he sees Tom Cruise at like some rave and he has that same face. He's like, shit. There he is. <laughs> but, but yeah, he does a perfect job of it. He really kills that at the end of the rope, old style cop. Yeah. Like I wake up in the middle of the night and answer a call. I'm on call 24 seven. I'm on the streets. Been doing this for years. He says he's been a cop for 25 and an investigator for like 12. Like I, he's hardened being a police officer. Like he really pulls off that beaten down police officer. Yeah. Is it your favorite? I know Ruffalo's your guy. He plays your, he plays your Hulk. He does. Is it? Is this your favorite non-MCU Ruffalo performance? Got to be up there. Interesting, yeah. What? I'm trying to think of some more that he's done that like stood out to me. Spotlight? Yeah, he was good in Spotlight, but it wasn't a performance that I thought about a lot. I thought the movie was really good. I never saw that one he did, uh, Dark Waters. I never saw that. Me neither. Uh, ooh, Shutter Island. He does a good job. Oh, shit. I know we talked about that. Oh, shit. Another cop. Yeah. Kind of. I can tell he, he pulls off that the fake cop. desk. Yeah. The fake cop. Foxcatcher. Yeah. He did Far- a really good job in that. He did a good job biting a bullet in that movie. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he did. He's been nominated for an Oscar several times. <laughs> yes, he has. I know he was for Spotlight. He was for Foxcatcher, I'm pretty sure. It's unfortunate that he was in a hell of a cast for Spotlight, like just overshadowed. Right. Oh, yeah. Michael Keaton, McAdams. Yeah. Stanley Tucci. Yeah. Tough. I love my boy Touche. Yeah, he's great. I liked him in Lovely Bones. Tucci. Good old Stanley. Yeah. But it's up there. This is definitely a really good Mark Ruffalo performance. That's a great one. And then RDJ as Paul Avery. This was uh, back when it was still a pretty big risk to cast Robert Downey yeah. Jr. in your movie. He was probably shooting or finishing up touches for Iron Man while he was shooting this, maybe doing a reshoot of a scene. Tropic Thunder, too. Yeah. So he was in, about to blow up before yeah. this movie came out. Could you imagine if this came out in 2009? Oh, shit. 
he might not have been cast because he might have been too much of a star, but right. It might have been it might have helped the movie out financially. Yeah. Could have. But he plays a I don't want to say subdued, but you get a lot of him heavy in that first act and then it peters out fast. Yeah. Once he starts to distance himself from the it takes from the paper. Toll. Yeah. The case takes its toll. That's another thing about I thought all the actors did a good job of conveying how this case has just fucked up their lives. Yeah. Taking a toll on them. How much of your life do you put to this case? Do you right. give up 20 years of your life on one individual case? And Mark Ruffalo even says that when they have like a four year gap is that, you know how many people have died in San Francisco uh, this year alone? And he says 200, 250 people. He's like, I don't have time to chase a cold case. Right. When there's 200 families out there that I need to help solve a murder for. It's just, which is true. I mean, you've got to divvy out that time fairly to all the crimes that are happening in a place like San Francisco. It's fucking up their lives in different ways. Like with Graysmith, it's fucking him up in that he won't let it go. Mm-hmm. And he's just obsessed with it. Ruffalo, it's fucking him up because it sits with him every day. Yeah. And he can't, he really can't do anything about it now. Cause it's like you said, it's a cold case. Then Paul Avery, he got fucking threatened by the Zodiac. Yes. He's yes, become he an alcoholic. <laughs> so it's clearly taking a toll on him. So, I just thought they all three did a hell of a job conveying that. Yeah. Uh, and I wanted to do, oh, wait, one more thing on Downey. Favorite non-MCU performance? Mm, there's this, Sherlock Holmes. Tropic. Tropic. I love him in Sherlock Holmes. He just fits in so well. Probably, he doesn't have enough screen time for me. It's pretty, yeah. Because he's the focal point of of those movies, or at least of Sherlock Holmes. He has more screen time in Tropic Thunder too, but he does such a good job for the little bit that he has in that first half, first act of the film. I'm gonna say I'm blanking on like his earlier work. Yeah, I know he was nominated for Chaplin, but I never saw that. I didn't either. I'd probably, yeah. Probably say this. I know he's not in it for basically the second half of the movie, but <laughs> I'll take it. And then uh, I thought he was good in The Judge. I thought The Judge was a pretty average movie, but I thought he was good in it. I couldn't have been bothered to see it. <laughs> I saw the trailer and I just I just didn't care. <laughs> it's gene- it's a generic like drama. Father reunites with the estranged son. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's. It's generic, but he, he was good. Uh, and uh, we don't usually do this. I thought this cast was good enough to give some shout-outs to a lot of the supporting uh, actors. John Carroll Lynch is Arthur Lee Allen. Probably deserves the biggest shout-out. Yeah. I mean, Jesus. Him, him in that uh, interview scene? <laughs> My God. You think he himself is the fucking Zodiac? Oh, yeah. He's like then, taunting him. Yeah. <laughs> I already told all this to the other officer. <laughs> and then even uh, when Graysmith goes to Ace Hardware at the end and he turns around and gives him that smug smile, he's like, can I help you, sir? And Graysmith's like, no. <laughs> and then <laughs> Lee just looks at him with this straight face, like pissed off look. <laughs> Which to me is funny because he's never met Lee. 
Right. So he gets pissed and Lee has no idea what the hell this man walked in his store, <laughs> wants, stared at him, <laughs> and then left. Can I help you, sir? No. No, you can't. Okay, well, good, good luck finding what you're looking for. <laughs> I will. I will, Lee. <laughs> okay. I don't get paid enough. <laughs> Anthony Edwards as Inspector Bill Armstrong. Did a good job. Fincher cast him because he needed a bona fide good guy mm. in, the, in the cast, and I think he got it. Someone you wouldn't suspect. Maybe they're the Zodiac. You didn't need that in this movie. No. <laughs> you, you definitely did not need a dirty cop to make it more confusing. No, you didn't. They were bad enough at their jobs as it was. They didn't <laughs> corrupt. Brian Cox as Melvin Belli, the lawyer who talked to the fake Zodiac on, on the TV. Thought he did a good job. We've seen Brian Cox in some shit. The Bourne movies. <laughs> that, uh, that show Succession. Yeah. So, yeah, he's been around. The unsung hero, Chloe Sevigny, is Melanie Graysmith, the only female character who doesn't die. Yeah. <laughs> Besides uh, Ruffalo's wife. Yeah, but she's barely yeah, featured. She's yeah, she's not in that movie. So, Chloe Sevigny doing some heavy lifting. Uh, Charles Fleischer, who... Guess what, Brett? Charles Fleischer, who played Bob Vaughn. Is the voice of Roger Rabbit. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely can't tell from how creepy he sounds. No, you can't. So I thought he deserved a shout out. And then Philip Baker Hall as the uh, handwriting expert, Sherwood Morrill. Seen him around, seen him in some shit. He just looks like a smart, trustworthy doctor. Looks and sounds like one too, yeah. Yeah, you definitely trust his opinion whenever he speaks about handwriting. Yeah. Well, if he said it didn't match, it. I believe him. I don't know if you saw that Seinfeld episode about the overdue library book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's him. He's the librarian. Oh, shit. Yeah. Didn't even re- I mean, I'm <laughs> not surprised I didn't recognize him. It's not a face I see every day. He was in uh, Boogie Nights for a sec. Okay. He was in Talented Mr. Ripley for a sec. So he's, he's, he's one of those uh, guys you know the face, but you don't know the name. Yeah, been around for a while. Yeah. Uh, best character arc, Bredis. Who do you think has the best arc? Um, I mean, it's got to be Ruffalo or, or Jake. Yeah. Can't be Avery, I don't think. No. Um, I guess I'd probably say Jake, especially when you look at the real guy, because he did write that book. He's written, he's written, actually written several books on the Zodiac. So he goes from a cartoonist to a best selling author who right. helped leaps and bounds in the actual case. Reopen the case, basically. Yeah, I think because of this movie, they closed it in 04 and they reopened it after this movie. Damn. But again, didn't make any money, which I, I don't, I'll never understand. Uh, I'm going to say Jalen Hall as well. Because he's playing like two different guys. Yeah. Uh, homier residence, Bredis. You know what I'm Paul's going with. Boathouse or Graysmith's apartment? The boathouse. The Graysmith's yeah. apartment is not homey. That seems like a toxic environment. He's sleeping on the couch. Oh, fuck yeah. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> this kid asks, why aren't you and mom sleeping in the same bed? And he just gives him. <laughs> 
gives him a blank stare. He's like, thank God the phone rang. You don't like uh, boxes of papers <laughs> piled up everywhere? You don't like that? Not homie to you? No, but I vibe with that boathouse, man. <laughs> it's nice. <laughs> Got everything you need in there. Atari, yeah. vodka. He's Just, not even wearing pants. No. <laughs> Go take a swim if you want. I like it. Uh, you notice I didn't have a Lee's trailer in here. Homier residence. <laughs> not with the squirrels. Or the dildo. <laughs> uh, here's the only quote I had that I... I don't know if I just wasn't listening for quotes or didn't put them down. I'm not the Zodiac, and if I was, I certainly wouldn't tell you. Does an innocent man say that? It it sounds bad, but if like a cop isn't too invested in making Avery the right guy, it makes sense because there's several points in the movie where when they when a fake comes up, they know because they make a silly mistake that the Zodiac has not proven to do. The Zodiac has always been very careful. So it's a pretty factual statement. He's like, if I was the actual Zodiac, you would never probably know. <laughs> I wouldn't blatantly do this or tell you outright. Is it also a veiled shot at the cops? Is he slamming them for doing a bad job? I long for the day when police officers are no longer referred to as pigs. My Thanks. ass. <laughs> appreciate that Avery or Alan nobody calls me Arthur they'll call me Lee uh, some questions Brett why does Paul Avery go visit with the anonymous source by himself um, because the plea I'm assuming because Ruffalo probably can't he's got other work to do and he's and Jake's become obsessed at this point yeah he's he's beyond reason <laughs> yeah i'll go i'll go ball no that's all right sorry right. uh second question you kind of hit on it earlier what does melanie see in robert graysmith again from day one he had a weird amount of information on the zodiac <laughs> he might have been the zodiac for all she knew that's on you, <laughs> you all right this is not a new obsession <laughs> I don't feel so bad when she throws those divorce papers down, which she doesn't even bother to look at because it happens to fall on the ID of right. <laughs> of Arthur. So he just he's like December eighteenth. <laughs> She's like, I don't know, I don't know what she threw at me, but fuck that. <laughs> um, and then, do you come away from this movie thinking Arthur Lee Allen is the Zodiac? Because it's heavily implied that he is. It is heavily implied. A lot of people think that he was a Zodiac, but all of his evidence is circumstantial. Right. Big reason why they couldn't get him. That's the only thing. Yeah. I think Well, they, they were going to have him sit down after the one guy identified him, but then he died of, they say a heart attack. I've read that it was diabetes complications, which is badass. It hits you. It's a, it hits home for you. And I was like, I thought I was pretty excited. I was like, yeah, diabetes killed a murderer. <laughs> Or a possible murderer. They might have killed an innocent man. I don't know. A celebrity diabetic. Zodiac killer. (laughs) (laughs) There's some great ones out there. (laughs) But yeah, he's he's the heavy source. You mentioned the Bob Vaughn. I didn't get to look up too much information about 
but I don't know if we want to get into real stuff quite yet. I can hold off until the end. Yeah, we can hold off on that. All right. I would like to talk about Bob Vaughn, though. I think he's just too good to pass up. <laughs> That's my handwriting, Mr. Graysmith. <laughs> but no, I definitely came away thinking he was the Zodiac. Arthur Lee Allen. He's, if you look up who is a real Zodiac, his name is mentioned the most. Yeah. Just convenient he died right before questioning. Yeah, he just always, and he was always in the area or close enough in an area where a killing happened. When he went to jail for, I think it was something with like why he got fired for like being with like little kids. He went to jail for that. That's when the Zodiac letter stopped. And yep. even says at the, at the end of the movie that he stopped getting phone calls when Alan died. Right. Grace Smith didn't get any more calls. Yeah, once Alan died. so That's suspicious. <laughs> that makes you wonder. But it's also tough because of how many copycats and fakers were brought up by the publicity of the Zodiac. That it's, it's tough. It's tough to narrow down what was really the Zodiac doing something and what was not. Right, like the guy who called into the, the morning show was a fake. Yeah, well, they can really only... Zodiac claimed in a letter to have killed 37 people. They can only hardly prove and claim to the Zodiac of five murders. Right. That's it. Right. So th- there legitimately could have been people that got killed by just a copycat Zodiac. Yeah. Or there's the fact that he changed his MO. The stuff that I got into, we can get into later that people have talked about the it, Zodiac was still alive and killing. He might've just changed everything up to make it look like a regular killing. So you'd never be able to know. And there's a letter about that in the movie or part of the movie where he says, he's like, I'm going to change my killing to make it look like a regular murder, an accident. So you'll never, I won't, he says, I won't write in every time I kill anymore. All my killings will just look like regular, like yeah. passion. Yeah. So who knows? Who knows? Um, and then we mentioned Lee's Ace Hardware. What are you doing if you walk in? Say you need a, I don't know, you need a new lawnmower or something. Or, nah, you wouldn't need that at Ace Hardware. <laughs> what do you need? You need to do some drywalling, Brett. Yeah. So you go, you go to Ace Hardware and you walk in and Arthur Lee Allen walks up to you and says, how can I help you? What are you doing? I'm shopping. You're shopping? Yeah. Because if you look up Arthur Lee Allen, uh, if you are not a woman or a couple that looks like they might be getting married, uh, you're pretty good. Or if you drive a cab. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm pretty good, yeah. Apparently he hated his mother and resented, like, young couples. So as long as he didn't think you were in a couple, just a solo dude rolling in for some hammers or some hardware, you're probably good to go. So, uh, if our, if uh, Zodiac is operating in 2020 today, is he going after Uber drivers? Mm, no, because you got to register a bunch of shit to be an Uber driver. Or, I mean, is he killing Uber drivers? Um, Instead of cab? No, because again, you got to register, and there's a trail with your cell phone and that shit. He's not. He's staying off the grid. Yeah, that's how you have to do it. You can't be registered on anything in twenty. So he might be doing cabs still. Yeah, yeah, tough. Uh, some comedy, Brett. Not hard for us to find comedy in a movie about the Zodiac Killer, but we there's some genuine moments of it. Yeah, there are. There are. Um, 
the first the first scene uh, before they uh, encounter the Zodiac, the first victims, this dude can't read the signs from this girl he's with. No. He can't hey, do it. Don't want to watch the movie? <laughs> she says, how many layers do you have on? It's July. Like trying, yeah. trying to get his clothes off, and he's just like, I'm cold. He's like, oh, I'm, I'm a little chilly, honestly. I don't know <laughs> what you're on about. And uh, the one just blatant obliviousness. Is that your husband? Yeah. Like, why do you think she's with you if she's married? <laughs> just for some also, company? another comedy from him. She even laughs at when those guys drive by and he yells them to fuck off and die. <laughs> Because even the girl laughs because it's such a strange thing. Yeah. Fuck off and die. <laughs> <laughs> Not what I would yell. At you know, it's just me. Yeah. I think a middle finger would have done just fine, but. I think he, so. <laughs> he had to throw the death threat in there. Uh, celebrating at the bar after the first Zodiac letter. <laughs> Get fucked up. <laughs> I clearly have no idea what they've stumbled upon. I know. It's like, let's go to Morty's. <laughs> uh, the host tells the Zodiac they're not tracing the phone call. <laughs> Shout out the BTK killer. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys can't trace floppy disks, right? You guys, you guys want to do that? Uh, no, we can't. Can't do that. Well, I wouldn't lie to you. But even this, it's just so funny. But he's like, it was just Sam. He tells him his name is Sam. He's like, Sam, we are not tracing this call. It takes a long time. It's not worth it. Our end. We are not tracing your calls. And then when he says to no, meet me at this restaurant, the hard cut to like 19 TV vans <laughs> speeding down the street. I was like, make sure it's low profile, guys. Helicopters in the air. <laughs> How about uh, when he's like, I have headaches. Yeah. And then we just hear like this pterodactyl screech from him. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? It was my headache. Well, you don't sound too good. So. <laughs> was it astute observation from that from that doctor? It was Mark, uh, Melvin Belli with the hard hitting analysis. <laughs> uh, Zodiac exhibits a lack of mechanical skills. What I mean here is, he's probably he can't tighten the lug nuts on the tire. He can't. No, maybe maybe purpose. he just can't do it, Brent. That's on purpose. Maybe you just can't do it. Fuck it. <laughs> what if he was genuinely trying to help and he just fucked it up? You know? if it, well, if it wasn't the Zodiac, maybe, but... Oh, <laughs> uh, it must have been worse than I thought. I'm give you a ride to the shop. It's closed. Now you've got a fucking kid. <laughs> Damn it. Uh... Unceremonious divorce between Armstrong and uh, just and, tosses and Tosky. it. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't give a shit. <laughs> Sign my name for me. I don't care. <laughs> I'm not coming in tomorrow. In fact, I'm transferring. Oh, well, good luck to you. <laughs> like these guys have been through the ringer together, and he's just like, all right, whatever. Oh, all right. Um, maybe you could try some of that that real sushi you've been looking for. He doesn't even <laughs> acknowledge it. He just laughs and then closes the door. Huh. This would be like if I was like, well, Brad, uh, I'm not going to be on the show ever again. You're on your own. 
All right. <laughs> Have fun with that sushi. We also get like one shot of his new partner and he asks him for animal crackers and he just looks sad when he doesn't have any. <laughs> Damn it. Um, every Graysmith and Toski interaction besides the last one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Toski wants no part of Graysmith. <laughs> and just the idea that Toski wrote the Zodiac letter what a, what the fuck? Incompetence, Zach. <laughs> they were pulling it. They were pulling at straws. Dave, well, maybe I mean, it could be Dave. He's pretty close to the case. He's a dude. Zodiac's a dude. I like. He it. has a he has a gun. Zodiac has a gun. He has it's a crew cut. Oh wait, no, no, he doesn't. Oh, damn it. <laughs> all coming together dude gun <laughs> give me a warrant let me search his home <laughs> uh no oscar nominations for this movie not a single one again who saw it though that i mean you google david fincher movies and this fucking movie doesn't pop up pain Pain, but again, right? it, it is a true crime movie and it is a slow burn. If you don't give a shit about this case, you might be like, the movie sucks. But you say yeah. no you say nobody saw it, but the Academy nominated shit nobody's seen all the time. <sighs> I, I, I stopped a long time ago trying to understand the decisions they make. Brett. Not a single nod. I know. Nothing. I know. They don't care. They don't care. They just want to nominate some bullshit. Brett's bitch. Good segue into Brett's bitch. Anything. Zodiac. Yeah, nothing with the movie. This is, for people that say it's boring, I just don't get it. This is a movie that should be boring. But it's not. And is not. It's It's probably the best movie on the Zodiac Killer. Oh. There's been all kinds of documentaries and major TV and all kinds of inserts and specific close. Looks, looks at specific people, but this is the best all-encompassing movie about the case. It's, I don't know. There's nothing I can really bitch at. It's such a good movie. More people need to see it. Yeah. I don't know why we have to say that so often about a David Fincher movie. I don't know. Like the game. The game, <laughs> Panic Room. Dragon Tattoo. Like, nobody's seen these movies. I don't, I don't know why. Uh, well, what do you, well, you got something? No, I was just going to say, for that someone that's, that's so mainstream, how right. they don't have enough people go to see it and make him have box office hits. It's going to be good. You know you're going to get a good movie. You know you're not going to waste your money. No, yeah, your time. You know you're getting someone competent. I mean, I would say... Active filmmakers. He's top five. He's one of the best. I think the only reason that Mank is going to get a lot of attention is because of quarantine shit and yeah. going straight to Netflix and people just be able to watch it. Yeah. I mean, I think directors that you can say, active directors who you can make the case are still in their prime. You got Fincher, you got Nolan, you got Wes. Tarantino. Tarantino. But he might be done. <laughs> yeah. 
Jordan Peele. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know why people don't, I, I just don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. Uh, favorite shot, Bredis. I'll let you take this one first. Uh, favorite shot. Hmm, that's tough. I'm trying to think of a specific shot that really. I don't know. I'm thinking of comedy. I'm just thinking of of Bob Vaughn not turning off that light in his basement <laughs> while while he's still down there. Quick cut to Graysmith sprinting up the stairs. Locked. <laughs> I know what mine is. What's yours? I'll try to think of one. The opening. You know, I'm a sucker for tracking shots. Mm. The opening tracking shot on the Fourth of July. In San Francisco. Starts with the sky shot of the bridge and the city, and then it goes into the car. Yeah, that is a very good shot. I love it. Yeah, that the opening is so good. I like the scene when uh Lee gets home and finds the cops there and it's uh they shoot him from the back. Mm -hmm. That's a good shot. I don't know. I got to go with the opening. The opening's damn good. You got one? I mean, the final shot, too, when he just says, the last time I saw that face was yeah. July 4th, 19, whatever. That's a hell of a frame to end on. Good. Yeah, that is. How about uh, the overhead shot of the cab before he mm. kills the cab driver? Yeah. It's not bad. You landing on one? Uh, I, I like that last shot. I'll go with that for now. All right. Do we care? I don't think we did do we care last time. I don't think so. Do we care that Paul Avery's portrayal may not have been accurate? No. Not really. I don't care either. <laughs> yeah, because the movie's not about Paul Avery. <laughs> no, it's not. And it, I found this quote. Paul Avery's former colleague, because Paul Avery died in 2000. Mm -hmm. His former colleague, Lance Williams, wrote that the movie portrayed Avery as ruined by the Zodiac. That just wasn't true. I wonder if his former colleague, Lance, has ever seen a fucking movie. <laughs> I'm curious if that's a pastime of his. Because in any, in any biopic... Nothing is one hundred percent the case. They change things. I'm yeah, not fucking JFK. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure Paul Avery wasn't like that. But it, RDJ's depiction was very interesting, very compelling. If he was just a regular ass, unaffected journalist, who would give a shit? Shut the hell up, Lance. <sighs> so, sounds like you have you don't know what movies are. It, it ruined it that my friend wasn't the way he was in real life in this moving picture. So you don't think Lance was a movie critic for the Chronicle? No, he seems like a fuckhead. <laughs> Who probably got interviewed about the movie and wanted to have like a big statement. I was like, I didn't quite like it. It wasn't as accurate in real life. I knew Paul. And it's like, that's cool, Lance. No one gets That's not the Paul I know. Yeah, well, guess what? Paul's dead, Lance. <laughs> so no one knows the Paul that you know. <laughs> this movie came out in 2007. <laughs> 
he died seven years ago. Guess what? Paul's on the ground, Lance. Yeah. Everybody knows that, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone knows dead Paul, Lance, but nobody knows alive, Paul. <laughs> Do we care that it's heavily suggested that Arthur Lee Allen is the Zodiac? No. I don't care. Yeah, it's an interesting point. Because they heavily lean to him, but they don't they give enough options and enough suspects that they let the viewer do research on their own when it ends. But then it leans you to Paul, which if you look into the case is what a lot of people assume anyways, is it's circumstantial circumstantial evidence, but it's some damning evidence around Paul. So it's, it doesn't surprise me that they lean into that because there's so much around Lee, you mean, or yeah, around Lee that there's just so much around him that, it makes sense, but yeah, it doesn't ruin it for me that they kind of like they, the last bit. The guy goes, "That's him, all right. That's that's the guy." It doesn't bother me too much. At some point, the circumstantial shit is just too much to ignore. Well, it's like Joel Hall's character says, "Just because, just because you can't prove it, doesn't yeah, mean it's, it's not true." Yeah, it's not true. Yeah, I mean, he has a point. He he has a great point. I mean, at some point, the circumstantial shit is just too much to just gloss over. Yeah. So I definitely thought he was the Zodiac. I have no problem with (laughs) them heavily suggesting it's him. Yeah. Uh, And then the last one, do we care that Graysmith was a better cop than half of the real ones in this movie? Yes. Yeah. It it matters (laughs) that there's – because it's a huge – factor into this case while it went unsolved and is still unsolved technically for so long because <laughs> it's just mismanaged mishandled miscommunicated like no one was on the same page so many because the killings were in different counties in california they barely communicated there wasn't one centralized database for all of this information all these tips all this evidence that no one <laughs> had a big formulated case for any of these suspects well, I can't wait till we get you get into the real stuff and uh, talk about those cops at the at the cab thing, the yeah. cab death. So I I I don't know how close it was, but they might have been able to catch him that night. Like that might have actually been the Zodiac because he, he did a lot of weird things. He didn't know, like why did he get out of the cab, get into the front seat to get the shirt thing, and he did a lot of weird stuff for that specific killing. It wasn't a normal killing. It wasn't a couple. And they got there fast because the kids saw, so the cops are there a lot quicker than the other two murders. A lot of sub points are that them actually like trailing the Zodiac killer and then stopping because some dumbass said it was a black dude. <laughs> got it mixed up. So they're like, oh, it's not that guy. <laughs> Think of that that son of a bitch. They got it confused, or if he some ra- if he was a racist bastard, said it on purpose, or if he just got it yeah. confused. That son of a bitch that might have stopped the Zodiac killer. Let him get away. He fucked up. Maybe on purpose. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, the casting. His friend. <laughs> <laughs> the casting what ifs. Jennifer Aniston, of all people, suggested Dylan Hall and Ruffalo to David Fincher. Good on her. Yeah. She previously worked with them. And thought uh, they'd be good for this movie. And turns out she was right. Guess what? I want Jennifer Aniston direct, to direct a movie now. <laughs> <laughs> she knows how to cast at least. Yeah. Orlando Bloom was the second choice to play Graysmith. It's tough for a good movie when the cast kills it. All the what ifs are, no, there's no way. 
Right. If a role's kind of, it was okay, it's more fun, but because everyone killed it, it's damn near impossible to look at or consider anybody else. I mean, 2007, Orlando Bloom is in full swing with Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, he's like, a star. Yeah, fresh off Lord of the Rings. Like, I don't see it. Yeah, it could have been too expensive, too. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Gary Oldman was originally cast as Melvin Belli, who was played by Brian Cox. Yep, I could see. But again, could could have been the cost because you have these three pretty big stars. Even yeah. I'm sure RDJ has still got a decent amount of money. Yeah. Nothing, nothing crazy, but you got three big names. Right. That you might not have been able to afford old Gary. That wasn't at the point of RDJ's career that he was just taking anything because he had to. Probably. Because he's trying to get back in, into the thing, but... Yeah, he he might have made a million or two, but it definitely right. wasn't much. Right. It wasn't Iron Man numbers. <laughs> no. It wasn't getting paid the budget of this movie. <laughs> uh, and then Fincher wanted Brad Pitt to play Paul Avery. Frequent collaborator, Brad Pitt. I don't, yeah, I don't know. Interesting. I mean, can you picture Brad Pitt in the boathouse drinking straight out of a bottle? Well, yeah, again, that's such a... You see him, he basically, he basically plays that kind of guy in Sherlock and as Iron Man. So it's just that same character in a sense that, I don't know, Brad Pitt would have just gone a different direction. He might have been more or, or less phased by the case. Yeah. Yeah. And then Daniel Craig was considered for Paul Avery. No. No. He definitely has more of a cop vibe. I mean, he's definitely the harder hitting street beat cop. Yeah. Daniel Craig would eventually work with Fincher and Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. So I guess it worked out for him. Yeah. And he got James Bond. So fuck it. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't feel bad for, for Daniel. <laughs> this was a year after Casino Royale. So he was, he was fine. Yeah. Uh, fun facts, Redis. We got a lot of them here. 65 to $85 million budget, $84.7 million box office. Tough. In the red. Yeah. In the red. Very, very much in the red because I guarantee, if anything, it's leaning closer to 85 than 65. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because they, they had, they, we'll get into it. They use a lot of CGI and stuff. Yeah. Um, Fincher, here's his quote on the low box office numbers. Even with the box office being what it is, I still think there's an audience out there for this movie. Everyone has a different idea about marketing. But my philosophy is that if you market a movie to 16-year-old boys that don't deliver Saw or Seven, they're going to be the most vociferous ones coming out of the screening saying, this movie sucks. And you're saying goodbye to the audience who would get it because they're going to look at the ads and say, I don't want to see some slasher movie. I'm surprised he didn't even mention Fight Club when he talked about marketing 16-year-old boys. If you say from the director that brought you Fight Club, that would get a lot of young guys up in arms and they go to see this and it's a slow burn, true crime drama. Right. They would trash this movie to the ground. Right. I'm surprised he mentioned Seven, though. Yeah. Because to me, I don't think of Seven. I don't think of like young men getting amped up. Right. For violence like they would for a fight club. <laughs> no, I just thought of it. This was his second serial killer movie. Fincher. Yeah. 
it looks a lot like seven too. Very dark, rainy. Yeah. Those tones are very similar to how seven looked. Yeah. Um, Fincher was originally going to direct the Black Dahlia. Are you familiar with that case? A little bit. I've not too much. I, the name definitely rings a bell. It was that girl who was cut in half. Oh yeah. They never. Yeah. They never figured out who did it. Yeah. Well, he was going to direct uh, a miniseries about that, but it was eventually turned into a movie and directed by Brian De Palma instead. So Fincher moved on to direct this after the Black Dahlia didn't happen for him. Uh, Fincher, Fisher, and Vanderbilt spent months interviewing witnesses, suspects, families, investigators, and even politicians as research. So they went all in. Oh, yeah, he was... All in. MGM turned down production after requiring a two hours, 15 minute runtime. Fuck you. I know, which is funny because movies are too long in general, but this movie, they were like, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to make it too long or nothing. Oh, no. The surviving victims were consultants during production. And I read that uh, they hired a PI to find a, uh, Mike Majot, who ID'd <laughs> Lee Allen, yeah. And they found him. Found his ass. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> kind of mentioned it earlier, all the president's men served as the template for David Fincher on this movie. And you can see it. Mm-hmm. Brett, I want to know if you know anything about this camera. It was filmed using the digital Thompson Viper film stream camera, which Fincher used to direct Nike, HP, Heineken, and Lexus commercials. <laughs> Hmm. You familiar with that camera? Have you heard I, of it? I don't know too much about it. I mean, I've heard of that, like the Viper film stream, but I've never heard of this specific camera. What a name. Thompson hmm. Viper. It's a hell of a name for a camera. Wow. It was announced in 2002. So it was kind of new when, when he used it. Yeah. Films shot on the Viper include Michael Mann's Collateral, Miami Vice, and Public Enemies, and David Fincher's Zodiac, The the, the Curious Case of Benjamin Button. All good movies. Interesting, yeah. Except Miami Vice. (laughs) All good movies. Uh, High-speed cameras were used to direct the slow-motion murders. Mm. Filming lasted 115 days. That probably felt like 115 years to the actors. <laughs> we'll get into why that is. Oh, here you go. Some scenes required over 70 takes. Which scenes do you think those were? Just those nothing know. scenes like you were talking I'm, about with the sandwich? I'm sure they were, but it is interesting. You mentioned that, but then some of the bits you have further down didn't seem like they hated it. It seems like they might have enjoyed it a little bit because they got to do a retake if they wanted it. Right. I mean, Ruffalo defended it. Yeah. And I think Downey was just eventually beaten into submission. Yeah, he was like, I, I got to do what I can. Yeah. <laughs> I need to recover. Uh, CGI was used for the blood and used to recreate certain San Francisco neighborhoods. Yeah, especially uh, that, that build. The bigger one for me was in the, the time lapse of that building, that huge skyscraper being yeah. built. That's the one that always stuck out to me for CGI in this movie. That was cool. That was a cool shot. Yeah. Um, only two other 2007 movies made more top 10 lists that year. There Will Be Blood and No Country for Old Men. 
which if you've heard our pods, those are two bona fide classics. Right. And so is this. But yeah. Never. It's in good company. It's in good company. Right. Fincher chose not to depict the murders where there are no witnesses for accuracy purposes. He didn't want to depict Guess. murders. Yeah. He wanted to be as accurate as possible. Tashi Station in the original Star Wars movie is named after Dave Toski, Brett. <laughs> it's a fact. Wow. George Lucas was obsessed with the case. That's interesting. And named it after Dave Toski. So how about that? Hmm. And then our boy Bong Joon-ho declared the film a masterpiece and said he could not find one fault in it. I feel like a bong. High praise. Uh, here's uh, We mentioned all the takes and stuff. Here's some quotes from the actors and even Fincher himself. Hall said, you get a take, five takes, ten takes. Some places, 90 takes. But there is a stopping point. There's a point at which you go, that's what we have to work with. But we would reshoot things. So there came a point where I would say, well, what do I do? Where's the risk? So clearly Jake, not a fan. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah, yeah, that's true. I guess as an actor, if you, if you like that idea of taking risks and pushing boundaries, do you lose that if you shoot a scene 112 times? You kind of run out of things to try. Right. <laughs> Jake was put through hell in this movie. <laughs> yeah. And Downey said, wait till you see what Downey said, bro. <laughs> I, I read <laughs> I just decided, aside from several times I wanted to garrote him, <laughs> that I was going to give him what he wanted. I think I'm a perfect person to work for him because I understand gulags. Which to me is funny. How the fuck does Robert Downey Jr. understand what gulags are? <laughs> it's such an inflammatory statement to me. That's getting you're pushing Mark Wahlberg 9-11 levels. Right. You say shit like, I'm a, I know what a, a gulag is like. I know what hell is like as an actor. Let's dial it back, Robert. <laughs> let's dial it back. You've not been in a Siberian prison. <laughs> let's, let's, let's dial it back there, buddy. You did a few extra takes on a movie you got paid a lot of money for. Just give it up. And then Fincher defending himself, he says, if an actor is going to let the role come to them, they can't resent the fact that I'm willing to wait as long as that takes. You know, the first day of production in San Francisco, we shot 56 takes of Mark and Jake. And it's the 56th take that's in the movie. Mm-hmm. And I love Mark Ruffalo's comment next. Yeah, Ruffalo defends it. He says, the way I see it is you enter into someone else's world as an actor. You can put your expectations aside and have an experience that's new and pushes and changes you. Or hold on to what you think it should be and have a stubborn immovable journey that's filled with disappointment and anger because at the end of the day they all bring something that nobody else could but this is david fincher's movie right david fincher and the writer this is that it's their movie actors bring a lot they can bring something that no one else could bring and a movie could be changed by a performance and make it better than it ever could have been with somebody else but it's never at least in my opinion the actor can hold claim to an aspect, but it is always going to be the director and the writers. That's their movie. And it should be. Without, you, don't have, you have nothing to act in without it, without the script, without this idea from Fincher. Right. You, have, you have nothing to do as an actor. Especially a director like Fincher. 
Yeah. I'm doing whatever he wants. Yeah. That's actually about Robert too. Robert's weirdly like pretentious from a place of no power. Right. Especially at this time. <laughs> like he's talking a lot of shit <laughs> for someone who's trying to recover their career. I understand Gulag. So I know what it's like. Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> the bread is to end it tonight. Yes. Tell us about your research into the real Zodiac. So, you can get down a lot of rabbit holes. You know. Yes, yes. Who oh, is I the know. Zodiac? Oh, I know. Who isn't the Zodiac? I went down one today. Zodiac. <laughs> what was that last one you said? Um, Say it. Say it again. Is Theodore Cruz the Zodiac? <laughs> yeah, I know he was born in 1970, but we can't rule out any suspects. Oh, shit. But... I'll start off with the Bob Vaughn thing because he, a lot of people had questions about that. Obviously, after watching that scene in the movie, like, why didn't they pursue Bob Vaughn? Why didn't they investigate him? Um, there's no evidence linking him to anything. He's just creepy. He might have wanted, the, he liked the attention. He Maybe he wanted to be a copycat or something. But I think the point of that scene really was to show how, how far gone Gray Smith was. He yeah. was like losing it, trying to put on every suspect, link anything, find any evidence of anybody to link to the Zodiac. That I think that's more what that scene did. But I'm trying to find. So there's also something I found about before I get into the other thing I mentioned earlier about like two possible Zodiacs, or at least the copycats. Right. right. Because there's a book. In the book, The Annals of the Unsolved Crime, famed JFK assassination researcher Edward J. Epstein wrote that the lack of any, any matching evidence at the Zodiac crime scenes in the letters proved that one person could not have been responsible for all four of the Zodiac crimes. Because he goes on to say that, where is it at? Um... According to Epstein, Zodiac suspect Arthur Lee Allen could have been responsible for the first two attacks, but a copycat or copycats are responsible for the stabbing at the lake at Lake Berryessa and the murder of the cab driver in San Francisco. Why which do you it say makes that? it would make sense because they make a big deal that the cab driver is not his MO. Right. It's not a young couple. It's a, some, a just single single guy alone. Epstein further stated that one or more persons had committed the Zodiac crimes while a different person wrote the Zodiac letters. According to Epstein, the letter writer was a journalist or a police officer who had have access to the police files and information about the crimes, which I've kind of read and I believe. I honest to God don't know if the Zodiac killer ever actually wrote any letters. Could have just been a copycat? That was actually writing them. I think, there, I think there was a serial killer that was killing like couples like that and this heat, this notoriety made him stop. <clears throat> like, I'm, I'm convinced it stopped in 1969. Really? Like they, I, I, think that, I, think that was the, I think that was the last actual Zodiac killing was 1969. So you think I it think, was a killer? He just, I, think I think a bunch of copycats probably sparked up and, and all that. But then I went on to another website this is updated October 8th, 2020 about why the Zodiac killer has never been identified. And this is kind of a long article. I'll try to jump around to some points. Uh, the Zodiac killer murdered five people in under a year. 
Though the Zodiac Killer may have been responsible for other crimes, there are the five murders and two attempted murders officially attributed to him. On December 20th, 1968, in Benicia, California, 17-year-old David Faraday and 16-year-old Betty Lou Jensen were shot while parked on a lover's lane during their first date. Here's some more incompetence. Police initially had no idea a serial killer was responsible for these deaths. Therefore, the investigation followed more standard steps, such as checking out Jensen's ex-boyfriend and Uh, other weird leads, not like handling the evidence super securely. All the detectives thought it had to be because of the drugs. They refused to hear anything else, is what Jensen's ex-boyfriend told San Francisco Weekly later. So they were going ride or die with drugs. Yeah, they were like, oh, it's just two kids up here doing whatever. Something went wrong, maybe. Hmm. Uh, Less than seven months later, in the early morning hours of July 5th, 1969, Darlene Farian and and Mike Mangow were shot multiple times while sitting in Farian's car at Blue Rock Spring Club in Vallejo, California. Farian was killed, but as we know, Mangow survived the wounds to his jaw, shoulder, and leg. Yeah. Less than an hour following the attack, Zodiac phoned the Vallejo Police Department to report the crime. During the call, he stated, I also killed those kids last year, a reference to Faraday and Jensen. So they think that was him. Yeah, those are like hard link to the actual original Zodiac killer. The so press, why, yeah, man. Why, why did they say they don't think Lee did the, the ones in the park? Because that was a couple, right? Um, yeah, that was this article from the, the Epstein guy. Um, he said, seems like it fits the MO. Yeah. Was it cause he was wearing the costume? It might've been. Yeah. Cause he was again, cause that's a copycat thing. And they were stabbed. Yeah. Why put on a thing and have a symbol of the Zodiac thing? And he was stabbed. So that's why they think that someone is riding and someone was killing and they're just, and the media, the news, all this stuff made it so popular that copycats are calling in like the fake guy calling in trying to get attention. Like that made it so hard for police. At one point they say they didn't have a lack of suspects. They had too many suspects. Yeah. Way too many suspects. They narrowed it down with the military background that really helped get rid of a lot of possible suspects. Yeah. The boots. Yeah. But I'm trying to scroll down this article and find uh, where was it at? Sometimes more suspects than none is worse. Yeah. I mean, you got to sift through all this bullshit. I'd rather not sift through any bullshit than a lot. Yeah. Here's an interesting part. There are theories that the Zodiac killer eventually just stopped killing. Though he claimed to be responsible for 37 deaths, no Zodiac victims have been discovered since 1969, like officially linked with all the same evidence. Did he stop killing? Popular culture often depicts serial killers as operating under irresistible compulsions, but under certain circumstances, they can refrain from murder. The FBI's National Center for the Analysis of Violent Crimes has noted that serial killers may stop if something changes in their lives. Perhaps coming so close to getting caught on the night of Stein's murder scared Zodiac onto a safer path. Another possibility is that the terror he he fomented in the public served as a substitute for killing. In addition, simply growing older may dampen predatory impulses. 
a psychology professor who wrote a book about Zodiac has, has posited that the murderer may have recovered from disassoci disassociative identity, identity disorder, otherwise known as multiple personalities. With recovery came an end to his desire to kill. It's also possible Zodiac stopped taking the lies for a reason outside of his control, such as institutionalization, incarceration, or his own death. Huh. Because the, the, uh, the Lee guy, he went to jail twice and yeah. let her stop. Things stopped. That might have changed his mindset. The fact that whoever the Zodiac was, that, that cab driver killing it, that was the actual Zodiac, was almost caught that night, changed him. Yeah, talk about that. Yeah, I'm gonna try and find it. That might have been the same. Talk about that. <laughs> that is like a. It is a scene they get into a little bit into the movie. Yeah. Like they in the movie, they make it seem like they could have caught him. Yeah. <laughs> and you mentioned a couple times in the pod that they could have ended it that night. Could have been over. I mean, yeah. yeah. So on October 11th. 1969 in San Francisco Zodiac entered the cab of Paul Stein as a passenger while the, while the, while in the taxi Zodiac shot Stein in the head witnesses saw Stein's murder so police were soon on the scene the witnesses had described the murderer as white around 25 to 30 years old wearing glasses and sporting a crew cut police who assumed the killing was a robbery spotted a man matching this description but a dispatcher had mistakenly told them the suspect was a black person. The man was allowed to leave, and the Zodiac killer was not caught. So oh. they saw his face, interacted with him. But because they left, and then so many, whatever it was, so they were brought in and questioned, they probably forgot what he looked like. They talked to him. But a dispatcher who... Talked to his ass? That says that he was allowed to leave. So oh. that they were questioning him about a possible robbery. And they had to let him go when they got information that it was not a white guy. That dispatcher might have let the Zodiac killer, or did really let the Zodiac killer get away. Oh, my. Oh, my God. Who's the fucker that called in and said, it's a black guy? And it was the dispatcher. The dispatcher misheard information. The part I heard it was the, oh. like a black jacket or whatever he was wearing, oh. misinterpreted that, but then told police Damn the ones it. that were interviewing him found out. Yeah. And then I do want to look more into our boy. Lee? Lee. <laughs> Arthur Lee Allen. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of evidence pointing his way. Yeah. If you just look up. The birthday. Yeah. Who is the Zodiac killer? Has the Zodiac killer been found? His picture. You'll see his picture plastered on the... Yeah, it's... <laughs> it's yeah, it's interesting. I'll try to read some of this. Right. This might not be accurate. This is just some information that is out there online, but... The Zodiac was most likely Arthur Lee Allen, but he was good at not leaving any evidence behind. He died at the age of 59 from complications from diabetes, but the movie says heart attack, so I'm more likely to believe the heart attack. Yeah. There was a lot of circumstantial evidence, but no physical evidence linking him to the murders. He had been a school teacher at an elementary school and was also the girls' trampoline coach, but he was fired for liking little girls too much, which they mentioned in the film. Right. According, according to the principal of the school, who would not comment further on the firing. Alan 
was also in the military. He walked with a limp, but often when committing the murders, he would he wore an extra pair of shoes to throw off investigators because they would be able to tell if someone has a limp or not based on the footprints and walking patterns. Right. This is, we talked about the 1960s and how trustworthy neighbors were and open door policy. If this is true from whatever source this is, because he sent in letters, you need to have stamps. You've got to have stuff to send it in. There's going to be DNA on that. He had neighbors lick stamps and put them on envelopes saying he was allergic to the glue. Oh, no. Because oh. it's like the 1960s, people just being friendly neighbors. Oh, no. He seems like an unassuming guy. Damn it. The FBI cracked the ciphers and they were rants against the detectives working the case and the journalists writing stories about the murders. Alan was a nasty drunk who hated his mother. He was angry towards young couples who were about to start a family. After he got fired from the elementary school, he started shooting young couples at Lover's Lane in Northern California. This is this, is, this person assuming things more or less at this point right. as well. But he wore a Zodiac brand watch, which is true, and he owned the same make of typewriter used to write the letters. A lot of circumstantial shit. A lot right. of weird shit. Yeah. Alan used airplane glue on his fingers to hide fingerprints, which is in the film as well. Alan was convicted of molesting a boy at his trailer park. While he was in prison, the killings and the letters stopped. Fuck. <laughs> the killings and letters resumed six months after he got out of jail. One time, the police almost caught the Zodiac. They chased him but he disappeared into a large forested park. In his diary, Alan wrote, tonight they almost caught me. No, really? Apparently. Oh, my. While in prison the second time, he started to attend Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. He started to get his life together. He got a two-year degree in chemistry from a community college, and he got a job as a junior chemist for an oil company. The killings had stopped, but he wrote threatening letters saying he would plan a bomb on a school bus and shoot the little kitties as they scampered off. Neighborhood children heard him muttering tit willow to himself, which is a word used in the Zodiac letters. I think it's a reference to the Gilbert Sullivan is what they write. Okay. The FBI considered him their prime suspect, but Alan was, not, was good at not leaving evidence behind and also leaving misleading evidence. He watched a lot of crime shows. The FBI found bomb-making materials in his trailer and were, and were preparing to charge him with the legal possession of bomb-making materials when he died from complications. The FBI, the FBI considered him to be the Zodiac, but there was no evidence linking him to the murders. The early cases were handled by small, local town police in Northern California, and cases were not handled well. At that time, there was no centralized database to share information, which we see a lot of in the movie. Yeah. A number of years ago, the FBI declassified the file on Arthur Lee Allen. You can see pages from his day planner. This is after he stopped drinking and stopped killing people. He hinted that he had taken other drugs but was not specific. This was the Northern California in the 1960s, too. The FBI considered him their prime suspect but weren't able to find the guns he'd used in the killings. Allen lived near a wooded area, and he may have hidden them somewhere in the woods. Fuck. It's just they had 2,500 suspects. This it gets weird. Alan once told a nightclub owner that he could eliminate his enemies and make it look like the Zodiac did it. <laughs> oh. Oh. Many things point to, pointed to Alan, but there was no evidence that it could present at trial. The DNA evidence seemed to rule Alan out, but he had neighbors lick stamps and used his dog's saliva to seal envelopes. Right. 
I cannot fact check this. I cannot prove this next sentence. All right. One time he paid a boy $5 to spit into a cup so he would have saliva to use for envelopes and stamps and shit. <laughs> Easiest five bucks that kid ever made. Alan may have had help from one of his friends and he may not have committed all the murders. There may have been copycats. I'm leaning to that being a fact that people died because someone wanted to be a copycat killer. Seems likely. Seems really yeah. likely. When Alan died, the letter stopped. The FBI dropped it, not wanting to get sued by his family. The FBI declassified a number of years ago. The FBI file was declassified a number of years ago, and it is interesting to look through. They say there are pages from Alan's day planner. He was going to AA meetings and had stopped drinking. He was still writing threatening letters about planting bombs and shooting school children, but he didn't carry out any of those threats. It's him, dude. <laughs> that's that circumstantial evidence is batshit crazy. It's him. It has to be him. Who else can it be? But I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he had a friend writing the letters or doing something because it, it, yeah, because the cab, one, the cab one doesn't fit that mo. No, it doesn't. Those couples ones do. So maybe he did get spooked. Maybe he never actually wrote those letters, and that was a copycat writing all of those letters. Could have been Vaughn. I mean, he seemed crazy enough. It could have been Vaughn, but he seems like the one that would just write in for attention. That's what I mean. They all could have been his letters. There's some fun threads about it. And some people point out that it's like, who do you think the Zodiac is? And someone is like, someone totally off the radar. Hmm. Like whoever actually did the real killings never called in, never wrote a letter. Because they're not, there's no motive. Right. It's just because like they happen to be two couples, yeah. But there's no connection to these women, to these guys. I mean, no sexual thing, right? Yeah, just for the thrill of it. There's a really cool website too. I forget what it was called now, but it had like links to all kinds of like the letters that were sent in. I'm going to try and find it real quick. I'll tell you, yeah. we didn't Zodi- mention this movie is based on the book by Gray Smith. Yeah. I want to read that book now. But there's a website, the Zodi- or ZodiacCiphers.com. It's got them there. And it has links to stuff starting in 1963. They have Cypher page one solved, Cypher page two solved, Cypher page three, 87% solved. And then, because only one was fully proven to be solved that you mentioned right. earlier. All the others have never truly been deciphered. Yeah. But this it's one the, says the like, this, couple. but this one says they have, I haven't looked at all these links, but the cipher three solved in 2019 and bus bomb diagram cipher four solved in 2019 and map. Cause he sent, cause that, this was a 1970 letter. It's just crazy interesting. I mean, did Alan show any aptitude toward like puzzles and shit? I don't know. To make them think he would uh, send them? Yeah, you know, I don't know. It's him. That's what I'm (laughs) thinking. That's what I'm coming away with. Arthur Leon is Zodiac. Hey, you're not alone. He that some of that evidence is it's just insane. Damning. Could be damning. 
Just of course he fucking died, you know? Of course. <laughs> but because they have a cool section on there for canonical victims. The 1968 David Faraday, Betty Lou Jensen, the 69 Darlene Farron, Michael Magow, 1969 Cecilia Shepard and Brian Hartnell, and then the 1969 Paul Stein murder. Right. Those are the only canonical kills. But it's just, it's interesting. It's just crazy how mishandled that case was. It's crazy how mishandled it was. I mean, could be attributed to what we talked about, how... He might have been the first uh, bona fide serial killer in America. Yeah. You know, at least in the 20th century. Yeah, this website has suspects. Arthur Lee Allen, Rick Marshall, Lawrence Kane, Theodore. They have the Unabomber. He's a suspect. That's odd. <laughs> I think he was proven not, but Richard Gukowski, Theodore Kaczynski, Gareth Penn, Jack Terrence. I'll click on the Arthur Lee Allen one, and that's not a good photo. Ted Kaczynski. <laughs> not a good photo. Let me see it. Ah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Joe and Zach, a uh, screenshot they have there. Matches the description to a T. That's another thing about uh, Bob Vaughn. He didn't match the description. At least yeah. Yeah, he de- yeah, they're over the cast, so he did not match. Roger Rabbit. Huh. The Rick Marshall, uh, it seemed like he was on to something with Rick Marshall and then Vaughn kind of set him <laughs> off. Yeah. <laughs> well, any other, any other research to share with us, Brennan? No, there's too much. <laughs> like I said, if you're that interested, ZodiacCiphers.com has crazy links and i mean long long breakdowns of all these events that you can get lost in all night if you so please i might do that tonight i honestly might it's nuts (laughs) well uh another great episode we talked about another great movie tonight um first time we've uh dedicated a whole episode to just one movie yeah, I think that's the big takeaway. This oddly enough, I feel like we see it a lot for certain movies. See it. See this movie. <laughs> see it, please. It has no right being as good as it is. No, it doesn't. <laughs> see it. Uh, and, you know, as always, check out the rest of our content on the network. Uh, we're going to be popping with NBA content, I imagine. Uh, NBA draft happened last night, free agency as we're recording right now, is uh, scheduled to go down tomorrow. It's going to start tomorrow, so check those out. Uh, Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes on the running hook. They're going to keep you covered on all the NBA stuff. Lynn Sanity will surely be cranking up their NBA content. Caleb will. uh, But him and Bryce have the uh, NFL recaps and previews locked down. Check out Top. They're going to keep you updated on everything college football and uh, the Battleground. Moderated by myself and featuring JD Hall and Bryce Shaddy. We're gonna talk about uh we're gonna record next week on everything that's going on in the NBA. A lot of movement, a lot of things happening with the season about to start in about a month now. So we'll keep you updated. We'll keep you updated on all that stuff. And as always, thanks for listening.